We're excited to welcome back to the Yaakov M. Show, Moshe Hill, political columnist who's been featured in the Daily Wire and many other publications. His blog is A Hill with a View. Moshe, welcome back. If you were approached hey, by a foreign government, pleasure to have you. If you were approached by Sweden with uh, dirt on a political opponent, would you turn it over to the FBI? Yeah, this is the topic of the day, I guess. Uh, President Trump, who has a tendency to say a lot of things, uh, said that he wouldn't call the FBI immediately, which on the face of it, just like a lot of President Trump stuff, you can spin it many different ways. This time I, I saw the interview raw and I was like, okay, that's not great, but like, whatever. And then, of course, the media just goes crazy having a every single time. Yeah, having conniptions. Yeah. But, but he, I love it when he just tells the truth, the unspoken truth that no politician in their right mind would say, which is that this kind of thing happens all the time where they get approached by foreign governments. And, uh, you know, then suddenly the media acts all shocked as though they've never heard of any politician doing this before. And it's also, it's not like a foreign government is co- is is meeting you in the bottom of a garage in a trench coat and handing you over a document. It's based on like what he was saying in his follow-up tweets. He was saying, oh yeah, I speak to people about a lot of different things in a lot of different governments. And they, if they mention something uh, about a, an opponent of mine in the co- topic of a conversation about uh, trade or, or military or anything, what am I supposed to do? Immediately hang up with them and call the FBI? <laughs> like that. Like, it doesn't make sense. And that's how Trump talks. Trump literally talks like a New York businessman. And he's just like, yeah, like, this is what I would do. Like, and it's, I, I don't see why you have to have a meltdown over everything he said. And that's why he's so successful, because he talks like a New York businessman and not like a Washington politician. And that's essentially what he tweeted. He said, I get out of a meeting with Theresa May. Essentially, what he said is, you know, if she had given me some sort of dirt on Joe Biden, I immediately call the FBI. Nobody's ever going to tell me anything again. Yeah, I think the media is trying to spin it as as Vladimir Putin in a trench coat, in, in a basement, <laughs> in a parking garage. And that's how they're trying to spin it. But it's, that's just not the reality. I mean, granted, Trump says a lot of things and maybe you could easily spin this the wrong way and they will. Spin. He has to know that every single thing he says will be spun the wrong way. That's a Washington. That's the way Washington politicians have to talk a lot of times. But he never talked like that. And maybe that's why he's he seems more genuine than every single other politician. I think his supporters find it refreshing. If he hasn't figured out by now that the media is going to spin it all negative, then he's never going to figure it out. What I find incredible, CNN's Anderson Cooper says, well, President Trump, candidate Trump held the press conference where he said, hey, Russia, maybe you can hack and recover those 30,000 deleted emails of Hillary. And then a few hours later, Russia released more Hillary emails. So somehow that's evidence that Trump is colluding with Russia. This is supposed to be a journalist. Yes, uh, and apparently he didn't read the 450-page <laughs> Mueller report. I mean, it, there was they went through all of this, and yeah, an off-the-cuff remark at a campaign rally where Trump literally is a stand-up comedian at his <laughs> campaign rally I, does not amount to collusion. Okay, the other big news of the day, of course, is the latest incident near the Straits of Hormuz involving allegedly involving Iran, where two oil tankers were attacked. These were actually Japan related, one of them owned by Japan. The other one was bringing oil, delivering oil to Japan. And look, clearly the Iranians are making good on their threat, unless you buy into CNN's narrative that the Iranians are the obvious culprit. So clearly it wasn't Iran. The Democrats, they literally are calling Trump the existential threat. They're completely silent on Iran. Where is this going ahead? 
Yeah, it is kind of crazy how for years uh, the Obama administration tried to sell us on the lie that Iran has moderated that because they couldn't sell the Iran deal if the if the point of the Iran deal was to have Iran moderate. The whole point of selling the American people on the Iran deal was to say the Iran deal has already mo- the the Iranian government has already moderated, so that's why we can go forward with the Iran deal. But that's clearly not true. They never moderated. It was a lie. It was a fiction put up by uh, the Obama administration and uh, more specifically uh, Ben Rhodes, um, who Ben Rhodes is a guy who literally uh, made it up and told uh, um, told that lie to the American people and then claimed, by the way, and admitted later that he, that he was lying to the American people about Iran's moderation. And then years after that is gone and, and Trump rightfully pulled out of the Iran deal, and put sanctions back on Iran, limit, limit Iran, we're seeing that that the moderation was a fiction all along. Excellent point. And my question really is, where does it go from here? A lot of experts believe that the Ayatollah would be willing to let the regime crumble before he caves in and makes any sort of deal with President Trump. And they say that Iran will figure out how to resist the sanctions. And of course, Trump is not interested in military action or regime change, certainly not before November 2020. So you really wonder what the end game is. Yeah, it is very difficult to handle um, Iran, especially if uh, the United States is going to be working without European allies. A lot of European allies are going around the sanctions, uh, the oil sanctions, trying to trying to uh, get oil from Iran because they were part of the original Iran deal and they didn't pull out of it. So they're trying to go go around it. Um, but it's uh, it's very difficult for America to act alone uh, in in this capacity, even though. Uh, the sanctions did cripple a lot of our Iran and they will continue to rule Iran. I think the way to go forward is to contact our European allies and make sure that they're abiding by these sanctions in Iran. And by the way, Iranian um, uh, aggression is is a good reminder to our European allies saying, hey, like we cannot uh, let this slide and we have to sanction Iran. And uh, But I do not think uh, Trump is going to put boots on the ground. I think they're going to continue with the sanctions. I think it's working. I think that they, um, the economic sanctions are going to causing massive unrest inside of Iran and that uh, the people are going to, uh, hopefully, they'll rise up. We see it a little bit here and there, um, but uh, hopefully it'll happen more often. So essentially, if you had to predict, and it's hard to predict, in November 2020, sort of the status quo where there's a lot of unrest amongst the people of Iran and they're very weakened and hopefully not advancing too far in their nuclear ambitions, but not a major shift from right now. No, I don't think uh, much of a major shift from right now. I don't see uh, Trump putting uh, so much uh, pressure on Iran in order to uh, putting boots on the ground in Iran because of the possible 2020 election, uh, the, the actual 2020 election, the, uh, the possible implications to the 2020 election. Um, and uh, I think that he's he's not going to do that. He's, he also doesn't want troops on the ground anyway. He's pulled out of, uh, uh, what's it called? Syria. Oh, trying to pull out of uh, Syria. He's, he, he was against the war in Iraq and all that stuff. So he's not a, uh, a war hawk in the same way as, uh, as his president. Right. And, and I guess the status quo uh, theoretically is not so bad unless the Iranians, their threat is right now, 
to move forward with enriching uranium. And they claim they're going to breach the nuclear deal. They already per perhaps are, have started to do that. I guess that's the only concern if they really advance their uh, uranium enrichment and their missile development. That is 100% a concern and something that uh, we definitely have to keep an eye on. Um, but uh, sanctioning Iran and, I mean, if we need to put boots in the ground, I think that between uh, uh, Trump is, uh, would still keep the option on the table. I just think he doesn't want to. I also think that he would totally give the green light to Israel to do whatever they need to do. Um, I think that he would allow Netanyahu to, uh, to you know, have an airstrike in, in Iran uh, without, I mean, Netanyahu doesn't really need his permission, but uh, the backing of the United States always helps. Um, I don't think between a, a strong Israeli government and a strong American government on foreign policy, um, Iran will, uh, will not be able to increase their aggressions. I think the problem is that we have two elections in both of those countries because uh, the Netanyahu can make a coalition. And so he has, there's a second election this year coming up. And so I think that if we, but I'm not so as worried about Israel as I am about uh, the uh, American election coming up, because I think that if we, if Biden somehow gets into the Oval Office, it's going to go back to uh, uh, the Obama administration's policies on Iran and those were that. Yeah, ironically, politically, you can make the case that uh, attacking Iran by either Israel or the United States would benefit Netanyahu in the upcoming election, make him appear stronger, but would be a liability to President Trump. Yeah, I think that um, it, uh, if if Israel does it, I don't think it's a, a liability to President Trump, um, and it's uh, questionable if it's good for for, for Netanyahu. It depends on how, because the left wing of the Israeli uh, uh, of the Israeli constituency is very pro defense against attacks from Gaza and attacks from uh, Judea and Samaria and that kind of stuff. But I'm not so sure there. The, uh, the left wing will be will sanction um, the actual attacking of, of Iraq or air striking Iraq and Iran in the same way. Yeah, good point. Uh, let's shift gears here. Congress recently considered giving themselves a pay raise and then actually freshman Democrats put a stop to it. They didn't think that the optics would look very good. Here you have record spending. We just hit a record deficit in May. And uh, they said maybe a, a $4,500 pay raise is not that good an idea. <laughs> Ocasio-Cortez, though, she wanted the pay raise, not because she cares about the money, but she thinks it would be hypocritical for Democrats, socialists like her, to want employees all over the country to have cost of living wages, but then for Congress not to give themselves a raise. But that was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, Ocasio-Cortez makes... She has to have the world record holder on making the most amount of ridiculous comments and <laughs> stupid comments in... And by the way, this is with uh, President Trump as the president, <laughs> but and she she manages her passive. I mean, like I love I love Trump's policies, but I'm not going to deny that he says a lot of really tough things all the time. But but um, the Ocasio Cortez she makes uh, possibly some of the stupidest comments I've ever heard. So I think one of the things she said on Twitter was. Um, if you don't have this raise, you're basically opening the door to corruption. And it says, so the price of a politician, I guess, is $4,500. Right. 
that's, all, that's pretty much all it takes to, between an honest and a corrupt politician. But what's, ast- yeah, what, what's <laughs> astonishing is that the, the influence that she has a few weeks ago, she criticizes Biden's environmental policies for being middle of the road. He responds with a very radical, not quite the Green New Deal, but a very radical environmental policy. Now she's dangling her endorsement. Is it going to be Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders? And they're looking at this 29-year-old freshman in Congress, you know, as this like new leader of the party. She is the new leader of the party. And I think that um, her power uh, in this is actually going to have its first, I think, uh, major test coming June 25th. On June 25th, there's a Democratic primary in Queens for the DA. And uh, the prohibitive favorite, Melinda Katz, was not endorsed by, by her. She was, Melinda Katz was endorsed by Chuck Schumer. And uh, but the uh, candidate who uh, Ocasio Cortez uh, uh, endorsed, Tiffany Caban, or Cabin, um, basically is a democratic socialist and and uh, been a public defender. Which I don't understand why a public defender would would be a good, have a good experience to be the district attorney as a prosecutor. But uh, basically, she was her major endorsement is by Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. So if if Caban wins the Democratic primary in Queens, that puts a lot more um, credence on the word of AOC uh, than it was even than it is even now. If she loses, I'm not so sure. I think that the uh, Democratic presidential candidates will still seek her endorsement, but I don't think it'll mean as much uh, coming after that. We'll keep an eye on that race. That's a great point. Uh, another topic I wanted to bring up, the citizenship question on the census, the Supreme Court is set to rule on that here before July 1st, because that's when they have to start printing the census. It's bizarre to me that this is a debate whether or not the government, the Census Bureau, has a right to ask its own residents in the country, are you a U.S. citizen? And yet, once again, we find the Republicans playing defense on this. you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think the Republicans have to go on the offensive on this one, because the, citizens, the citizenship test, uh, uh, sorry, That's fine. <laughs> the, uh, the census, the census uh, is meant to decide representation. And basically, the question, the citizen question is, should be boiled down to a question of do illegal immigrants deserve to have representation in, in public office? Are they... Do, uh, do they have the right to be represented? Now, that is a legitimate question that we can ask, and I think the answer is no, personally, because they're not citizens. They don't have representation rights as as uh, as American citizens do. But that's not how it's being framed. It's being framed by the media, by the Democrats, as if you ask this question, you're a racist. And just like everything else. And the Republicans are still playing defense on this. So they decided to play defense uh, on on this kind of question instead of going on the offensive and saying, why do you think that illegal immigrants deserve representation in Congress? Yeah, it, that doesn't really make sense. That's, it's exactly. Yeah. What's racist exactly here? What they're saying is they'll lose representation in the Hispanic districts. Well, the reason they will lose representation is because people who are in the country illegally are not going to respond to the census because they don't want to be asked if they're a U.S. citizen. Well, what that's doing is that's taking away the people who don't deserve representation in the first place, as you just said. It's just bizarre. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. If you really think about it, uh, if you're taking the census of, of different uh, populations, so you have, let's take Los Angeles, for example, yeah, in California. So Los Angeles um, has 
live, a huge uh, population. A lot of different congressional districts are made up in Los Angeles. You can easily have a congressional district in Los Angeles that is made up of 90% illegal immigrants and 10% uh, citizens. And that 10%, and that will have the same amount of representation. So 10% of the people, so let's say there's a, a million people in that, uh, in that district, uh, 100,000 citizens, and 900,000 illegal immigrants, and then you have, I mean, I'm making up these numbers, but, uh, and then you have- that That's fine, the politicians do the same thing. Rights. You can make them up. Yeah, <laughs> that, that 100,000 people have uh, the same amount of, uh, can vote for somebody that in a county over, in still in California, a little more east in California, has a million people with a million citizens because that's not where illegal immigrants happen to live. And they have, they're all voting for the same amount. They have the same representation. They have the same, they, they, have, they each have one congressperson. It doesn't make sense to, to structure districts like that. A million citizens should have, a, have a, a congress, a representative in Congress, not a million people, because citizens have representation. And that's the real reason the Democrats oppose this. It's not because of racism. They don't care about racism. They just care about being in power. They're going to have less power and they're going to have less money. That's what it's all about. Now, what did you think of President Trump's deal with Mexico? The Mexico deal was interesting. Um, I thought that the uh, the move was really going to backfire on him because I the Mexican president is a very left wing, really hates Trump, um, and didn't I didn't think that uh, he would he would do anything to be honest. Um, it's still up in the air of how much of a win this is for President Trump. I think that. As long as the the, the um, tariffs don't actually get uh, enacted, I think it is a good thing. Um, I'm not a big fan of tariffs. I don't think that I should have to pay uh, more money uh, for anything, to be honest. But um, I think that literally just the idea of sending troops to the southern border or having uh, the third country policy uh, be enacted in, in Mexico and them starting to take uh, asylum claims. I think those are both uh, very worthwhile uh, things and, and big wins. Um, and I'm glad that they happened. I'm glad that Trump uh, took the win and didn't keep pushing forward from work. Right. Great point. And we'll have to debate tariffs a different time. Uh, final question here. The NBC announced its lineup of moderators as we quickly approach the Democrat debates. And Rachel Maddow is going to be moderating the first Democrat debate. Rachel Maddow, who's an opinion host. I mean, she doesn't even try to hide it like some of these other anchors. Clearly very biased. Here you have the Democrats who are boycotting Fox because they're biased. And Rachel Maddow is one of the moderators. I, I was pretty outraged. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's insane. That's literally um, every single time you have a uh, you had Elizabeth Warren a few weeks back went crazy about Fox News uh, town halls and saying I will not do a Fox News town hall. Fox News is racist. Fox News is this. Fox News is that. But if you ever notice the the Fox News town halls, they're always moderated or hosted by Brett Bayer, Chris Wallace, Martha McCallum. The the actual um, yeah the news uh, team, not the opinion and, uh, team. Yeah, the news people. They are, and who are, by the way, much more objective than the CNN anchors, the MSNBC anchors, or anything like that. The, Absolutely. The, uh, if you just watch, if you just watch them, I mean, it's not even a question. So the equivalent to this is if, and it's not MSNBC that that's hosting this, uh, that she's moderating. It's for NBC. So imagine if Fox, uh, not Fox News, but let's just say ABC, a network uh, television show, had 
had on um, Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity and said, hey, this is going to be the moderator for our event. That doesn't, that's ridiculous. And so the equivalency of saying, well, Fox News is evil because we have objective people moderating this, but MSNBC is okay because we have clearly biased opinion journalists <laughs> moderating our, uh, it's insane. It, it is just insane. No one will ever call him out on this, though. It doesn't, you know. That's exactly so right. It's just going to be what it my, is. My dream is while the, the Democrat debates are happening, for Fox News to have just a video feed of President Trump watching the debate and commenting on it uh, in the Oval Office, even if you don't hear the background of the actual debate, just Trump's comments on each one of the candidates. That would be the best. That would be great. I do love watching. I flip back and forth between a couple of uh, live reaction shows, and that would definitely be a, a top contender for a live reaction show to a Democratic. Right. It would be hilarious. Moshe Hill, phenomenal job as always. Moshe Hill, political columnist. You got to check out the blog, ahillwithaview.com. Moshe, thank you, and we look forward to doing this again soon. Ah, thank you very much.